Hey, my name is Gavin, and uh, it's my joy to serve as one of our pastors. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 28 on this, the day after the most anticlimactic day in Nebraska history. Amen? We're going to we're gonna give it to them next week, right? Buckle up, Colorado. We got two tunnel walks, all that energy amped up to just bring it next week. But I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Rain or shine, Jesus is always victorious and uh, always shows up and performs. And uh, good to gather with you guys to be in the Word of God this morning. I'm very excited. Next week, we're going to kick off sort of our fall series proper. Uh, wherein we're going to look at the life of King David out of the Old Testament books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, going to be an amazing series that I look forward to. This morning we're going to wrap up in this what is the fourth and final sermon of our core value series. And so every year we do this. Uh, it's the month leading up to our fall kickoff where we sort of revisit what we call our core values, which are sort of the the whys behind the what of everything that we do. We want to be very intentional about the way that we live out um, our identity as a church family at City Light Church. And so we revisit these annually. Now, to those of you who have been here since the very beginning of City Light or for some time, you could probably preach this series. Anyone with me? My sister was like, oh, you're preaching core values again. I may just visit another church for a couple of weeks. And I said, Lindsay, you need to repent of your sins and you need to come to church. And uh, she did take copious notes last week and actually said at Midtown and said, I learned something new. I said, thank you. You, you did. And so um, for those of you who have been here, um, I, I want to say it's important that we revisit these really for two reasons. In all honesty, there are actually eight or 900 more people that are part of our church family this year than last year, right? So we just need to take the moment and say, hey, what makes City Light? City Light, what are the things that we are really striving toward that we seek to shape us as a church family? And number two, I think it does serve as a way to sort of recalibrate the proverbial compass for the rest of us who have been at this thing for a few years to just honestly kind of benchmark, are we still about the things that we set out to be about, right? Are these things defining us? Are we getting off track? Are we still about what we set out to do? And so if you've been here, you know, shorthand for our core values are these directional arrows down, which stands for the gospel. That is the paramount and prominent core value that gives shapes to, defines, and empowers everything else we do in the church, and that is the gospel. We are a Christ-centered, a gospel-centered church unapologetically, realizing that we are, we are the recipients, we're the benefactors of God's benevolent, kind grace that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve, that we... Um, um, accomplished nothing of on our own. In other words, Jesus Christ came and lived out the righteousness that we couldn't. He died the death that we ought to, and he get, uh, rose victoriously to give us eternal life and a new identity in him. So before we do anything, we must receive something which is all accomplished by God, which is great news. It's over, Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. I've accomplished it. So we say, hallelujah, we receive the good news, and we do respond to that good news. We respond up, which we learn is spiritual formation, in, which we learn is community. And this morning, we're going to talk about responding outward on mission to the world. And so we get the uh, word mission from what is called the Great Commission. It shows up in all of the Gospels, uh, most popularly in Matthew 28, which we're going to look at this morning. The idea is that God doesn't just save us from our sins, though he does when we trust in Jesus Christ. He also saves us into his family and into his family mission. And uh, he invites us to join him in what he's doing and redeeming the world from the effects of the fall and sin. And uh, I have to say on a personal level, it is one of the most profound joys of my life to know that 
a relative nobody from nowhere has in some small way, by God's grace, been used by God to bring glory to his name and to extend his gospel to other people. And it brings me great joy to be a part of a church family that embraces the mission of God, that isn't just a holy huddle, but says, no, we are God's salt and light in the world, and we exist to be and make disciples and live on mission. And so I want you to hear this morning, not um, an imposition, God wants something from you, you need to share your faith, you need to be, but I want you to hear an invitation to actually get caught up in a divine, eternal mission that God has been a part since the very creation of the world, and uh, that the adventure that you're really looking for, the life, meaning, purpose, and joy is really found in rooting your, the mission of your life in God's mission to be and make disciples. And so uh, if you're in Matthew 28, let me set up the Great Commission very briefly with this. Remember, it is in context, and the context is Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of all who would trust in him. He's been raised from the grave three days later, and now he's standing before his 11 remaining disciples who are likely very confused and wondering what is going on. Jesus is now alive, and he has this final conversation and commissioning with his disciples that really give shape to the rest of their lives, uh, the, the incarnation or the, uh, the start of the church and really serves as our proverbial North Star for our church family and our lives today. So this is a profoundly important passage for us to dial into. And as we go through it, uh, I just want to ask the question, what are the ways that the Great Commission shapes us as a church as we think about being a church on mission, okay? So if you have your programs or your notes, do grab them. There will be a lot of note-taking. This morning's going to be very practical, a little less preaching, and a lot more practical. And I hope that it will serve and be beneficial to us in that way. So the first main idea that we need to get from the Great Commission is this. Write it down. Jesus doesn't need us. You might think, well, that yeah, that seems like an odd place to start, you know? If you want us to share our faith and be disciple makers, you're going to start with, Jesus doesn't need our help. Well, let me just show you from the text. This is where it all starts in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Set it up this way. Um, We've had a lot of rain this summer, if you didn't notice. So the beginning of the summer... Uh, our basement flooded, which is not where you want to be in life. So uh, our basement's finished, so it looked like me cutting out drywall, pulling back the carpet, the whole thing. You guys know the drill. So it was a hot mess, no big deal. Part of being a homeowner, you just buck up and do it. So I took some time off work, got it all put back together, drywall, carpet, it's looking good. And then last Monday, you remember we had like 100,000 million inches on that Monday, and Sarah called me. I was out to lunch with my friend Cody. She said, uh, you're going to need to come home. We have water in the basement. Second one was a little more defeating because I had just gotten it done. Okay, so I go home, same drill, cutting out drywall, pulling back carpet. And so my summer has been spent doing a lot of drywall work. And uh, one of the most late, you know, the latest times I'm doing the drywall work, um, just to let you into my world, I'm a little bit OCD and a little anal, but I'm not that good at drywall work, which is a toxic combination and also very sanctifying if you don't want to cuss because you love God. And so (laughs) I'm doing the drywall work and my four-year-old son comes down and says, dad, can I help? Dads and moms, you know that moment. You're thinking, okay, I was not just thinking, boy, I could really use some help with this project. If only a four-year-old would come down and offer his services, that would really be beneficial to me. 
But in that moment, I'm thinking, man, I, I love my son. I want to include my son. And so I gave my son the mud knife, and I taught him how to do it because I want to build a relationship with him, and I wanted him included on the mission. I just realized, man, the greater win is our connectedness, not this wall, and it can all be sanded anyway. It gets a little dusty, but you get what I'm saying. And so I want to include my son in the project. I say that to say God needs our help like I need my son's help with home improvement projects, okay? So listen, God inviting us into his mission isn't a plea for, from God for us to fill a gap that he can't fill on his own. It's not like there's a deficiency in his ability and he really needs us to come through and that will get him over the edge of making disciples to the ends of the earth. In fact, that, notice that Jesus is intentional. Before he gives his great commission to his church, he, he actually doesn't start with like affirming our giftedness or communicating his deficiency, how does he start? He starts by affirming his ultimate sufficiency. What does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, real quick, let me geek out. That word translated authority, the original language, that word was translated 27 times in our New Testament as authority. 69 times it was translated in the New Testament as power. So whether the more more appropriate translation is power or authority, you get the thrust of what Jesus is communicating. He's communicating that he is sufficiently equipped and empowered. He can do as he pleases without exception. He has no limitations. And additionally, in Acts 17, 25, it says that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. And so Jesus starts by affirming that he's, he's capable and able to do all things. He can do whatever he wants at his pleasure. And so he's not begging us to fill a gap. Instead, he's just reminding us of his sufficiency. All authority, all power has been given to me. And so I just want to remind us as we think about being a missionary church, a missional church, God's missionary sent ones, um, that we don't do it because we serve a weak God who needs our help. We serve a God who is mighty and who is able and who graciously chooses to use very weak and ordinary people like you and me. Okay, so when we think about the mission of God, the Great Commission, we need to realize that the mission of God doesn't start with you and me. The mission of God doesn't even start with the activity of the church, evangelism, discipleship, global missions, care for the poor. The mission of God actually starts with the heart of God. God is the first and he is the ultimate missionary. He is the one who is on mission and he is a mighty and able and powerful God. And biblically speaking, he doesn't technically need our help to get it done. And so I want to talk very briefly now on the practical note. How does that shape the way we think about being a missionary church, a missional church, being missionaries? Let me give you uh, five ways that should shape us collectively. I'd encourage you to write them down. What should our posture be in missions? Number one, our posture should be first worship, okay? So before we realize that we are sent out by God on mission, we have to realize that we were on the receiving end of God's missionary work, and it should well up in us a profound sense of awe, wonder, gladness, joy, and worship that our missionary God has come on mission to save us. So our mission should be defined by a posture of worship. Number two, our mission should be defined by a posture of prayer, Okay, so just think of the logic of verse 18. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
So if all authority belongs to Jesus, how much authority and power belongs to us apart from Jesus? Zero. Thank you. Several of you went to Wayne State. I get it. The rest of you should be with me, right? If 100% power and authority belongs to Jesus, that leaves zero for, for you and me apart from Jesus. Now, we do have power and authority, but only in so much as Jesus gives it to us. And so, very practically, listen, we can be amazing evangelists. We can have amazing programs. We can give billions of dollars. We can get really aggressive in the mission of God. But unless the Spirit of God empowers that, it will not be effective. That's why we don't just talk about prayers like the Christian nod, oh, we should be a praying church. No, legitimately, we are incapable of doing anything fruitful or helpful for the kingdom of God unless God moves. And so we must pray. That's why we started this church in prayer. Before the church even had a name or a building or anything, we were a people of prayer begging the Lord Jesus to do a great work in our city, to multiply disciples and churches. Why we as elders, staff, congregation on every level are praying and asking the Spirit of God to move. And that's why I think God has blessed this local church to the, the degree that he has is because of a posture of prayer. So mission starts with a posture of worship, with prayer. Third one is this, as we think about us collectively on mission, um, one attribute that should define us is simplicity. Here's what I mean by that. If all authority belongs to Jesus, and if it's his mission that he's accomplishing through us, that means that we don't actually need to be that clever in engaging our city with the mission of God. It doesn't mean we can't be creative. It doesn't mean we can't do a lot of things. But we've just said from the very beginning, we're not going to do gimmicks. No clever marketing. No bait and switch. No high entertainment to get people in the door. Instead, we said we're, gonna, we're just going to trust for there to be a gospel culture. As the gospel affects us, it should make us genuinely humble and joyful, create a culture of hospitality. We're going to pre- preach the Bible. And we want to be accurate and winsome and clear. But we're not going to twist it. We're just going to trust that as we step out on mission, if all authority belongs to Jesus, he's going to be the one that's going to change a human heart. He's going to be the one that's going to regenerate hearts from death into life. And so we have a posture of simplicity. Fourth attribute that should define our sense of mission is confidence. Jesus has all the authority. And he wants to seek and save lost people. That means we should never, ever be insecure, timid, or tepid about sharing our faith or engaging in the mission of God, right? We don't need to be clever. It doesn't depend on us. We need to be faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ, but all the pressure belongs to Jesus. And so we can proceed with a profound sense of confidence, knowing that Jesus is in control. And the last one is this, a sense of gratitude. A sense of gratitude should define our mission. In other words, if Jesus doesn't in fact need us to accomplish his mission, we should feel a profound sense of privilege that he's chosen his children to be his means of reaching the world. I invited Levi into my drywall project because I love him and he's a part of my family and I want him on my team. And I think what a kind and loving God that includes us on his, amen? Okay, so first, we just need to affirm, listen, Jesus doesn't need us. He's not deficient in any way. But the second truth we learn from the Great Commission is this. Jesus graciously commissions us. He graciously commissions us. And so just because Jesus doesn't lack power or authority, in no way takes away from the fact that we have a very real assignment from God that we have to obey. This is not the optional add-on assignment for the elite Christians. This is the assignment of everyone who calls Jesus Savior and 
Lord. And so here's our assignment, verse 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what's the very first word of the Great Commission here? Go. The very first thing Jesus does with his church is he sends them. The church, by definition, is a people on the move. This has always been um, one of the defining attributes of God's people. Abraham, all the way back in Genesis, what does God tell him? Go, get on the move, get moving. I'll tell you where we're going on the way, when we get there. But for right now, to follow me means to go. And so from the very beginning, the local church has been intended to be a movement, not a monument. We're not a monument. We're a movement of people to go and make disciples of all the nations. What that means is to be a faithful church means that um, we can't be a stationary, safe place for Christians to insulate themselves from the sinful culture. That's not a church. A church is what? Moving into the culture. We're moving into the dark places and bringing light. We are multiplying out. We are engaging the lost and sharing the gospel. We move um, uh, into the culture, not away from it. And so as we move, what are we to do? It says, go and make disciples. And so we have a mission. We're not just moving. We're moving to make disciples. And what is a disciple? A disciple, he gives us a little cliff note. We should know how to make disciples. He says, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them. So we have two um, you know, commands that we are to live out. So baptism is tied to initial salvation, which means to make a disciple, we need to be able to tell people how to become a Christian. If it's telling our story or sharing a basic um, gospel illustration, be able to help people understand uh, what it means to be a sinner, who Jesus is, that he died and rose for us, and what it means to place our faith in him and receive salvation. So to make disciples, we need to tell people about Jesus, and then two, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So to fulfill the Great Commission, we can't just dunk people, get them wet, you're going to heaven now, go on your way, right? There's an ongoing teaching ministry. We actually need to teach people how to walk with Jesus, how to obey his commands, how to live as a Christian family, how to turn from sin, how to turn the other cheek, how to store up treasure in heaven, how to pray. I don't know if you knew this, but Christians, when they become a Christian, don't just know how to walk with Jesus. They actually need someone to walk with them and teach them just the basic fundamentals of what it means to walk with Jesus. So we are to go, we're to make disciples, and what are the geographic boundary limits to our mission? There are none whole earth. That means we're to make disciples of our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members, and people who live in Cambodia, in Thailand, in China, in South America, to the very ends of the earth, okay? So this radically changes the idea of missions in most of our Western mindsets, uh, or changes the idea of the local church. The predominant view of the church in our local context and culture is really defined by consumerism, the idea being, I have a gym that I belong to, I have a school that I go to, I have a favorite sports team, I have a favorite church, and for the church, it's an organization, and I write a check, and I receive back religious services and programs, and then missions is this subset of the church where paid professionals take the gospel into dark places, predominantly overseas. But this is not a biblical view of the church. What we see here is that the church is God's outreach department to the world. Missions isn't a part of the church. The church is a part of God's missions, right? We are God's missionary department. All of us, not a subset. 
We are God's missionary arm. In fact, missiologist Alan Hirsch says it well. He says it this way. He says, it's not so much that the church has a mission, it's that the mission of God has a church. Did you catch that nuance? It's not so much that the church has a mission, it's that the mission of God has a church. And our mission that we are on is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So we do have a very real assignment commissioning from Jesus. Now, as quick as I can, how should this shape the way that we do church and live as individuals within the church? So um, I'm going to give you eight. You ready for this? So let me give you four ways this shapes us as a church family to be God-sent people, and then four ways it should shape our individual lives as God-sent people. So as a church, um, here's the way it shapes us. Number one, it changes our scorecard. So if we exist as God's missionary agency, it just celebrates what we count as a win, In other words, our scorecard really can't be anymore butts in a seat and dollars in a bank. That's not necessarily a win. Why? Because Jesus didn't commission us to gather a crowd and amass resources. And so there could be 10 people in this room or there could be 10,000 people in this room. And it may not be an indicator if we're doing anything for the kingdom of God, fulfilling the great commission. So we have to identify then what's a win? How do we identify a scorecard? Well, two that we look at predominantly as a church, it doesn't sum up everything, but it is a helpful way to benchmark ourselves against the Great Commission, our baptisms and city groups. So rather than celebrating and clapping attendance numbers, we're saying, are people actually meeting Jesus Christ? Are people who weren't Christians becoming Christians and getting baptized? That's a sign of a healthy church against the Great Commission. Number two is just city groups. So are people getting out of the crowd and into community, into disciple-making communities where they can learn to love, serve, follow, and worship Jesus? A third way that it shapes us as a church um, is through church planting. I want you to know the reason that we plant churches is the Great Commission. We don't plant churches because it's hip, trendy, fun, cool, or easy, because it's really none of those things. It's really costly and really hard. We do it to fulfill the Great Commission. In fact, after Jesus gives his version of the Great Commission in all four Gospels, the next book of the New Testament we see is Acts. And the immediate response of the early Christians after the Great Commission is a worldwide, rigorous church planting movement. And we see both biblically and reinforced statistically that the best way to move the gospel forward into any culture or context is through the planting of new independent churches. The most evangelistically fruitful churches statistically across the board are churches ages zero to five. That is why we plant churches, the Great Commission. And I want you guys to know, to date, we as a church body you have given almost $1 million to the work of church planting. And because of that, we now have six new independently led churches made up of over 4,000 people that have baptized 770 new Christians that have 150 city groups that are living on mission. That's why we plant churches, amen? It's the Great Commission. And now I want to think just about four ways individually How does the Great Commission help us organize our lives? How does it shape us? Four ways that we can live as missionaries. Number one, it's going to sound redundant, but we pray. 
we pray. We have to pray. For the same reason we pray as a church, we pray as individuals. We pray for our lost neighbors. We pray for our lost friends. A little axiom that's been helpful for me, I shared it last year, and a number of people said it's just very helpful, um, is to think of this little axiom. Pray for doors, check doors, respect doors. Some of you have heard this. We want to practice it out. So in the mornings, we pray, God, would you give me doors of opportunity to share the gospel, to be a light? Throughout the days, we interact with other people in our neighborhood, at work, wherever. We check doors. You check doors by just talking about God. How was your week? Great. Went to church and learned this. Here's what we did in our city group. We're asking, is there any way I can pray for you? Right? You guys know how to do this. You're checking the door. You're bringing up spiritual things. And isn't it true? You're going to know in about 15 seconds if that's an open door or a closed door. We all know what a closed door feels like. Amen? That closed door, oh, yeah, good for you. No, I'm fine, thank you. Anyway, about the Husker rain out, that's a closed door. So do we kick down doors? We don't kick down doors, okay? If it's a closed door, that's okay. The responsibility, we're gonna pray and we're gonna check, but when that door opens, we're gonna walk through that door. We're gonna share, we're gonna invite. So number one, I would just encourage you, honestly, don't just take a note. Actually, tomorrow morning, wake up, pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus. Pray that God would give you doors of opportunity. Number two, Uh, We want to bless. We want to pray. We want to bless. Here's what I mean by that. The word gospel literally translated means good news. You hear that all the time uh, from this pulpit. And so what that means very practically to be people of the gospel means that we need to be good news people across the board. Okay? So there's all kinds of people in our lives, and some people are good news people, and some people are bad news people. Are you with me? There are those people when they walk in the door, you're like, oh, that's good news. It is good news when I see you. You use your words to bless and encourage me. You lift up the room. You go out of your way to be generous toward me. You are good news. There are other people that walk in the room and we avoid eye contact. That's not good news. They're critical. They're condescending. Whatever it is, right? I want to ask you the question, when you walk in a room, is that good news or bad news? When we move into a new neighborhood, that should be good news to the neighborhood. Our neighbors should say, man, you moved into the neighborhood, got better. So that means we move into a neighborhood, we take care of our lawn, we're just good neighbors. We exercise hospitality and friendship and service, and people should say, well, that's good news when they moved in. They aren't the snarky people on the Nextdoor app that complain about everything. (laughs) You know those people? Don't be that person. That's not good news. Don't get the garbage can put away. Don't bark about it on social media. Anyway, maybe that's just my neighborhood. Someone asks, are you, a, are you a good news person? Are you someone who uses your words to bring joy and to bless? Do you tip your waiter well? Are you generous? Are you hospitable? Are you a good news person that helps pave the way for the ultimate good news? Which is number three, the third way it should order our lives, is that we do need to share. We pray and we bless, but guess what? Tipping our waiter or being a good neighbor doesn't save anyone from their sins, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so even if we're great servants, we actually need to be able to share the words of the gospel. We need to have tools in our tool belt. The great place to start is just our own testimony, a simple way to explain the gospel. I was not a Christian. I was a churchgoer or I was a rebel, but I learned that My morality or immorality is not enough to get me in or keep me out. The problem is sin, and Jesus came and died for my sins, and I trusted him. He forgave my sins, and now I'm adopted into his family, and he wants the same thing for you. 
You don't have to take a class to learn your testimony, to share it, to learn a Bible verse and to share it with someone. Alex trained our city group leaders in the bridge illustration, a simple tool, but we need to be able to share the gospel with people around us. So we pray, we bless, we share. And the number four, I would uh, summarize it this way, we need to fight. By that I mean we need to fight for the good of the people around us. Uh, The older I get, the more I read my Bible, the more I cannot miss God's heart for the poor and the marginalized and the helpless and the people who don't yet have a voice. And so to be a holistic missionary for Jesus, I think we do need to declare the good news of Jesus, and we also need to be a voice for those who don't have one, right? We need to be a voice for the unborn, to say, man, they can't speak yet, but we believe that value, dignity, and worth comes from God, and every run from conception has that. We need to be a voice for the poor and the outcast in our community that don't yet have a voice to advocate for them. We need to be a voice of justice where people are treated poorly and unfairly to stand up and use the power that God has given us to be an advocate of our, on our behalf. And it really is a picture of the gospel. Because what is the gospel? We were the social outsiders. We were spiritually bankrupt. We didn't have a voice. And what did Jesus do? He came and served us when we needed him the, the most. And right now he advocates before the Father on our behalf. And so we need to fight for the people around us. So point one, Jesus doesn't need us. Point two, Jesus has commissioned us. Uh, Here's the final thing we're gonna see in the Great Commission of Matthew 28 is that Jesus promises to be with us. Verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I need to say this, all throughout the Bible, the New Testament in particular, Jesus promises his presence among his people, okay? So if you have trusted in Jesus Christ and been born again, you have received the Holy Spirit into your life. And Jesus promises in multiple places to never leave us nor forsake us. And so you don't need to worry, um, am I going to lose the presence of God in my life? Is he still with me? No, you're not going to lose him. He is still with you in the sense that his spirit is in you. But there's another sense in which God supernaturally attends his people and empowers them when they're living on mission for him, joining him in his mission, it's better said. In other words, I think there's a reason why Jesus leaves the great commission with this final bookend. The first bookend is that he has all power and authority. Then he gives us an assignment and then he gives us this promise and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I will say that I have experienced this promised presence in some pretty significant ways when I have joined God in his mission. It's not that he's not always with me, but I will tell you what, when you are on your knees praying for a lost neighbor or friend, you will experience the heart, power, and presence of God in ways that you just don't experience when you're ignoring God and living for your own mission and ministry. Are you with me? There have been seasons in my life where I've been in uncomfortable situations in a different country trying to share the gospel ministering to a homeless person who is socially not healthy, smells very bad, I'm very uncomfortable, and yet I feel like the Holy Spirit has led me to this moment. And in that moment, I experience the power and the pleasure and the presence of God that I just don't experience in different areas of my life. And I think what Jesus is teaching us is, yes, he is always with his children, but you will experience in a special way his power, his anointing, his presence when you're joining him in his mission because that's where he's at work. And so for those of you who are saying, man, I want to experience more of Jesus in my life. 
Or for those of you who are saying, where is God? I want to experience him. God tells us where he is. He's seeking and saving the lost. He's going into dark places and bringing the light. He is bringing justice where there is injustice. He is with the outcasts and the marginalized. And if you want to experience more of the power and presence of God, you need to join him in his mission where he is. And what a gift it is to join him in his mission. Let me wrap up our core value series this way. As we think about the mission of God, I just want to say what an incredible opportunity that we have right before us. I don't want us to miss the grace of Jesus Christ in this invitation. It is very possible to trust Jesus for salvation, have a very real relationship with him, have a very secure salvation with him, and yet check out of the mission of God. It's possible to do that. And the person who is getting robbed is yourself. Because the promise of adventure that we all have in our heart of hearts is not found in a new toy, another vocation, the bigger house, the nicer things, a finally renovated bathroom, finally getting married or having kids. It's found in the mission of God, living on mission with God, our missionary God, who has invited us in by grace. And I will say, as I did at the beginning, it's been my greatest joy in life. My greatest joy in life is not any possession I've ever acquired or feat that I've accomplished. It's knowing that in some small ways I've been used by God. That I can look back at my story and say, man, I have college friends that I can pick up the phone and call, say, how is your walk with Jesus? Because they weren't a Christian, albeit very awkwardly, I shared the gospel and our authoritative and powerful God actually used that and they became a Christian. You You know what a joy that is? It's better than any camper, any vacation, any promotion. That's a real human being that I will worship Jesus Christ with for all of eternity. What a joy. There are people on other continents that I've gotten to go and share the gospel with, and I can still Facebook them and encourage them as a part of God's community. Do you know what a joy that is? There are real neighbors in my neighborhood where we've lived for two and a half years who now love and walk with Jesus. We have into our home, God has used us, albeit imperfect means, to bring the gospel to that place. Do you know what a joy that is to sit aside, sit next to someone who's now walking with Jesus and encourage them? It is the greatest invitation of our lives. And I want you to know that Jesus is inviting you into that. And I can't miss this moment to just encourage you, church family. I've really only had two churches in my life as a believer, the one where I was at before this and now this one. But in my five years running hard with you guys, I have to say you have embraced the mission of God more than I've ever seen. I know my scope is limited, so take that with an asterisk. But honestly, you guys have embraced the mission of God and poured your lives out. Did you guys know you sparked a church planning movement? 4,000 people in six churches and 770 baptisms doesn't happen because two kind of awkward white guys got excited about Jesus and started preaching. Amen? It happened because the whole body of Christ embraced the mission of God. You guys give sacrificially. You pray courageously. You make disciples. You open up your homes. You have hard conversations. You share the gospel. And because of that, Jesus is extending his name and fame. And I do believe in all honesty that this story that God is writing is only beginning. I can't wait to see what God does through you in the next year, the next five, the next 10, and until he calls us home. So this morning, we're going to respond uh, to the Great Commission by taking communion. And as we take communion, like we do every week, I want us to think about communion through the lens of the mission of God, to realize that as we come up and receive the bread and the juice, we are receiving the body and blood of our missionary God 
who didn't just inconvenience himself for a little or give up a little bit of finances for the mission. He gave up his very life to redeem us back into the family of God. So here's our instructions. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, we invite you to the Lord's table. This table is open to anyone who calls on Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you do not trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, please don't come forward. Uh, the very next verses warn us not to eat this meal in an unworthy manner. But we should examine our hearts and come forward with humility, repentance, and gladness of the great missionary who came to give his life for us. Um, if you have any food allergies, you've got a station in the back. For the rest of us, there will be community servers all over. We're going to stand and pray in just a moment. You come forward whenever you're ready. Um, there's also a prayer team in the back. They'd love to pray with and for you uh, for any need that the Lord has placed on your heart. But would you stay to your feet and let me pray for us. Oh Lord, it's in this meal that we remember before you ever sent us on assignment, you yourself became the sent one. Jesus is the ultimate missionary. You left the comforts and confines of heaven and stepped into the world broken that you had created uh, to bring us back to you. And so we are so thankful that we don't serve a selfish God, but a missionary God, a God who put on flesh, laid down his life for our good. We are so thankful for your grace. That for those of us who have trusted in you, given you our lives, you have forgiven our sins, made us brand new. We're so thankful for your mission. God, as we take this meal, would it be with great humility and gladness that we remember your mission? And would it be empowering as well? Um, would you shake off any insecurity or fear about being your sent people and replace it with a great sense of privilege and joy that we can leverage our lives for the good of the people around us and the glory of our Father in heaven? Oh God, it's our greatest prayer that you would use us and our generation to be a light for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.